1: But it's something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM Burnaby and CJSF.ca, and available on podcast from thecityfm.org as well as citr.ca. I'm Andy Longhurst. On today's program, we talk in-depth with the City of Vancouver's top arts and culture bureaucrat, Richard Neuwirth, the Managing Director of Cultural Services. He oversees the arts and cultural policies and programs at the City of Vancouver, And we discuss the state of arts and culture in Vancouver, affordable art spaces for artists and cultural producers in the city, and the eastward movement of artists um, as well. We also talk about the thing that we all love to complain about in B.C., liquor and the regulation of it. So we've got lots on the program. This is the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us. Uh, Montreal's Parlor, holding on to something. And uh, this is the city here on CITR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in. Vancouver City Council in 2008 affirmed its commitment to a diverse and healthy creative sector through the adoption of the cultural plan for Vancouver 2008 through 2018. The plan was created through an inclusive community process and serves as the guide for the city's ongoing and future role in arts and culture. The vision of Vancouver's culture plan is to develop, enliven, enhance and promote arts, culture and cultural diversity in our city in ways that benefit our citizens, the creative community, businesses and visitors. And the person responsible for ensuring the implementation of this plan is uh, Richard Neuwirth, Managing Director of Cultural Services at the City of Vancouver. And in late June of this year, I had the chance to speak at length with um, Richard Neuwirth, and uh, we talked about the state of arts and culture in the city and uh, thoughts about the future and where things are headed. At that time, the city had announced a program uh, to uh, use uh, vacant field houses, which are essentially on-site um, uh... single uh... housing uh essentially houses um, which are for like a park rector or uh, otherwise individuals responsible for um, looking over the park and this was an initiative this was an initiative announced by the Vancouver Park Board and um, just a little recent update um, from this month August uh, 2012 on that program at the time there weren't a lot of details just a, a, an initial announcement and even mr. newerth didn't have uh, much to say on it because he didn't know uh, a lot at that point But um, just quoting right from the the city of Vancouver, uh, the Artist Artist Fieldhouse Residency Program provides free studio space for artists in exchange for community arts-based engagement. And through this program, artists have an opportunity to pursue their current art-making directions and to try new things outside the constraints of studio cost. Create community... Um, arts engagement opportunities for and with neighborhoods surrounding the parks and connect with other artists who are also work in this field of practice with the aim to grow this form of participatory arts engaged practices, the field house residencies contribute to the growing vibrancy of the respective neighborhoods inspire participation and relationship building as art acts as a catalyst for individual engagement and community building. And the program is running from October 2012 to mid-January 2015, and uh, currently they're reviewing proposals um, starting uh, back in July, on July 9th, 2012, and they're currently being evaluated um, for the following uh, studio spaces at the at these parks, uh, Elm Park, uh, Feliz Park, Hayden Park, Slocan Park, and Strathcona Park. So... Just a little bit of a quick update before we go into the conversation I had with um, Mr. Neworth going back to June um, of this year, 2012. So we're going to jump right into this. And uh, um, in the first, uh, this is the first part of uh, my talk with um, Mr. Richard Neworth and uh, talking about uh, just giving an overview of arts and culture in the city and his role um, and talking about liquor and liquor regulation and control. And sort of the fuzzy world between provincial and local that um, make this issue uh, a, a tricky one for the city to deal with, even when they may have a more progressive mindset around uh, liquor control than than the provincial body, which regulates it. And then also we talk about artist spaces and um, um, where spaces are available and... Um, where artists want to be and and what what they can afford um, in uh, an increasingly expensive city like Vancouver. So, uh, again, Richard Neuwirth, Managing Director of Cultural Services at the City of Vancouver. First, start out by uh, explaining a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do at the City of Vancouver.
2: Sure. Um, I am managing director of cultural services for the city of Vancouver. And that means basically that I'm, I I say this, um, jokingly that I'm sort of the top city bureaucrat in arts and culture. (laughs) Um, so, and what cultural services does, um, there are some primary areas that we operate and we operate own and operate the civic theaters, which include the queen Elizabeth theater and the Orpheum. For example, we provide all of the funding to nonprofit arts organizations in the city via grants. We, um, own a number of other facilities that we lease out to nonprofit organizations, and we commission all the public art in the city. So those are the big areas, and then we're involved in policy issues around arts and culture in general.
1: Okay. How would you characterize or um, sum up Vancouver's cultural policy or uh,
2: cultural policies uh, at this point in time? Well, uh, what I would say is um, there are a couple of things. One is that um, there was a report recently done about uh, per capita spending on the arts and um, in terms of dollars spent per capita um, Vancouver's only sec- second in in spending overall to Montreal but um, in terms of dollars per granted out to nonprofit organizations were actually the highest in the country. So there's a great deal of city support for arts and culture. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's never enough, um, Mm -hmm. in any city, but, um, there's a fair amount of support. And I'd say that, you know, uh, we recently had uh, a new body convened called this Arts and Cultural Policy Council, which will be sort of like a citizen oversight advisory body that will be advisory to both um, council as well as staff. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think I'm having that kind of – Ear to the ground rather than sort of just being in an office uh, is really helpful. Like people in the community that are working in arts and culture and giving you sort of feedback on a regular basis as to what the main issues are. So, um, yeah,
1: you touched on a, a pretty big issue. It's the one of um, mm-hmm. How much can the city ultimately do um, when, you know, you see fun, uh, gaming money disappear at the provincial level or mm-hmm. um, the federal support's not there? To what extent does the city, I mean, the city can move forward on a number of things, but uh, to what extent um,
2: are you confined? Well, you know, it is it is difficult. I mean, um, I met with colleagues from the federal government and the province last week, and the municipal government is always you know because you're closest um, to the artists and to the arts organizations you know they're going to turn to us first and what we what we can do is 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 quite limited you know we we've been keeping up in terms of uh, funding but at the same time we can't make up for all the losses in the provincial and federal funding. So how we strategize with um, arts organizations about sustainability is one of the big issues that's really coming about right now. And that I think is going to be a big issue for this arts, arts and culture policy council is, you know, talking about, well, what, what are the guiding principles about sustainability? Uh, do we continue to try to fund Every organization a small amount, or do we be more, or should we be more strategic about how we invest funds? I mean, it's it's a really tricky issue because the dollars are limited, um, and we have other support mechanisms. But but ultimately, you know, if it comes down to dollars, that's going to end at some point. You know, the city will continue its strong support for arts and culture, but it can't make up for the other levels of government. So it's it's it is a challenge.
1: Can you briefly touch on um the five strategic themes that are outlined in the city's culture plan? Sure. Um or pick the, out uh, pick out some stuff that you want to uh, go in more depth about.
2: Well, um you know, there the themes in the culture plan are quite high level, you know, directions. And what's good about it is that it um it doesn't get into so much uh, specific actions that need to be undertaken as much as, you know, what should be our guiding principles in terms of how we structure funding, how we, um, the, the projects and programs that we take on and where we place our emphasis. And so, I mean, I think um, that, like I said, innovation, you know, uh, lifelong learning, uh, Uh, connecting people communities and ideas they're all things that you know um sort of uh would would be something that i think would guide be guiding principles in most uh, cities. And I think that we're trying to basically encompass both, you know, looking at both the nonprofit sector as well as the for-profit sector and and see how we can be part of the larger creative economy, not just looking at nonprofits, uh, you know, on our own.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you tell me uh, or highlight some of the the past successes and um, the challenges um, that uh, your department um, currently faces
2: mm-hmm. well um, challenges you know it's all, <laughs> it's always a challenge i mean um, it's it, it, certainly we have faced challenges in terms of trying to Um, work with organizations like I was talking about sustainability Um, I mean we had one very public um, challenge which was the Vancouver Playhouse Mm -hmm. Um, and you know where there was an attempt to save an organization and I think that the city did the right thing but could could not go any further in terms of um you know rescuing an institution that was sort of in in a chronic deficit kind of situation um so what, that, what,
1: what, what's your um what's your take on it i know there's been a number of ideas and um uh, uh, beliefs floated as to why the playhouse couldn't succeed um but
2: Directly, well, from, I'll tell so, you. From, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what I think, and what I and what I don't think is right. Okay. I don't think that the um, the the argument about the city's support structure, you know, in the civic theaters, was the the thing to blame. Because um, in essence, we had entered into a um, a residency agreement with the Playhouse so that we were not charging them for every use. Uh, so we were basically writing off a bunch of different things. So we were giving them a grant and basically saying, if if your expenses exceed that, we're just not going to charge you for it. So I think that has been a bit of a red herring. Um, the the real problem was an organization that was in deficit 46 out of 49 years and had a structural issue in terms of not being able to sort of change their model in order to be viable and competitive in today's economy. I mean, they basically, you know, had a million-dollar deficit uh, including, you know, several hundred thousand to the city, but um, they were going to need another half a million dollars a year to be sustainable, and that is something that you know just is not possible in terms of this, uh, you know, the the. Even though it's generous support from the city, it's limited, and um, there was just no way that the city could provide that kind of support. Two questions in that um, Do we need to rethink
1: and re- maybe reevaluate the way that we think about the arts and thinking that? that artistic production is not necessarily um a purely business endeavor um and how do we how do we navigate that? Um secondly, is the cultural landscape in Vancouver changing? I've seen a number of Playhouse productions and they are fabulous. Um mm-hmm. it is incredible and it's it's a huge loss. Um but I feel like in other cities a a, a theater company like that would do fine potentially and, and they do. Um, Mm -hmm. So what does that say about the cultural landscape in Vancouver?
2: Well, you know, and that's, it's a tricky thing to say. I I would certainly be the first to admit that, you know, that um, the the playhouse um, going under leaves leaves holes in the cultural ecology. Um, I'm hopeful that, um, that, Either existing organizations or new organizations will arise to to fill those niches that maybe the playhouse was providing. Um, so, and and certainly, um, well, when you when you were asking about sort of the the business versus the art side, I mean, it's the things are very married together in terms of you know it, it, uh, you can be doing. Uh, great quality work, but if you don't have a model that's sustainable, mm, n- n- there's really no way of 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 succeeding in the long term. I mean, so what 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 we've seen is that people who diversify their sources of income and really get into you know either. Um, much more earned revenue from ticket sales, or are much more successful at, you know, negotiating sponsorships or other kinds of arrangements with the business community. It's, it, 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 it given what's happened at the federal and provincial levels, relying on government support, um, is a dangerous thing. And while I, I totally believe that. Every level of government should be supporting the cultural sector. We shouldn't be expl- expecting that that's going to sustain everything. And um, so I, I think that, you know, Business for the Arts recently launched a program here about partnering with organizations to partner with businesses and a, a, with a granting program. And I think that kind of work uh, about both um, giving people the tools to make those connections with businesses as well as to make themselves to look at their financial models and to figure out you know what what's the best way of operating i think there is going to need to be sort of more business savvy placed upon some of these things now that's not to say that you know um, we, it's just like we throw our hands up and say, you know, either you sink or swim. I mean, because in fact, I think that there was a lot of effort in terms of the playhouse to try to save that. Um, but, but I really do think, you know, um, I look at, at at organizations and I say, you know, we've got to, we've got to get into discussions about how we're going to address the sustainability in the long term, given, that, you know, we're not going to be able to make up the difference.
1: Hopefully every venue
2: doesn't have to be the Gold Corp Center for the Performing Arts, I guess. Yeah, that, that no, uh, no, I mean, you know, I, 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 well, I certainly know that. I mean, one thing I'll tell you is that um, the city uh, is very protective about not... not uh, for venues that we own. I mean, we don't want, like, we're never going to have well i should not say no but i'll <laughs> say that 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 the city is not interested in, in naming um civic assets uh for corporations right now so it's you know and and what um what private organizations and or educational institutions in this case um are, you know do um yeah, it's it's it is it's it's a tricky thing. I mean, I think that you're you're pointing out uh, an issue that is valid. It's like you know what you want to be clear about. You know, does does uh, your corporate support align with your values and principles? Um, and and if so, and if not, um, what are the ramifications of that? I want to ask you about
1: two two um, fairly specific um, initiatives. Um, one mm-hmm. is the recent announcement to turn unused or unoccupied field houses into um, mm-hmm. artistic spaces. Um, can you? Uh, there's not there's not a lot of detail, and I don't think the mm-hmm. report has been issued yet. If I'm mm-hmm. if I'm uh, not mistaken, can you talk more about um, the operational side of that and and how this would actually uh, be a sustainable model?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll admit that I'm not as familiar with the, with the park board, right, right. um, field houses as I am with the other work because, it, I mean, just the way the city government is structured, it's a little bit weird. Uh, the, the main thing about the park board, uh, field houses is it's basically, um, being provided at no cost in return for some community-based work. Um, with with the local surrounding neighborhood, um, so um, there are particular arts artists that are interested in you know doing that kind of community based work, and so it's going to draw certain kinds of artists that are into uh, doing collaborative work or environmental work or um, things where it's a community based project that's the kind of, um, thing that, you know, you're not going to get a a studio based artist who just wants to be, you know, doing their work in their studio, um, in, in one of those situations. Um, so that, you know, it's a, it's a limited number. I mean, I think it's total of eight. Okay. Um, and, and hopefully, it will be expanded in the future. We want to try to provide as many opportunities for affordable space through as many mechanisms as we can.
1: So, with there, the, the, there'd be no rent, but there would be an obligation to um, uh, obviously you have to apply um, and then have a plan mm-hmm. to engage the public. Is that right? Yes, that, and that's it. But it can be a commercial endeavor. Like you could be selling art out of it or what what's... I
2: don't believe so I mean okay. to be quite honest with you I and I I don't I think it has to do and this is where you know I'm getting in ter- territory I don't really know that territory like, zoning and yeah. zoning and yeah. things like that yeah. like it's just you know we, sometimes like sometimes the regulations don't match up exactly with how things people operate in the real world and that's one of the things that we're trying to do is to synchronize how zoning and building and various permits um work so that it it actually reflects how artists are working today
1: let's talk about that um to what extent and uh we've seen some of this but Um, To what extent is the city ready to relax Uh, not only zoning bylaws but um, noise bylaws, um, liquor uh, bylaws, a a number of things um, to really encourage or um, uh, support, um, Mm -hmm. you know, experimental or or a whole variety of different artistic and cultural endeavors in the city?
2: Well, I'll I'll say that we're very committed to trying to streamline things and to cut out Red tape and bureaucracy, and you know, we have a position that is specifically to work with uh, the arts community through permit processes and and ha- and working with other city departments about doing regulatory review. Having said that, there are certain things that are very constraining, like liquor policy is largely set by the province, right. and and so it's it, you know, uh, <laughs> um, and I, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, a story, which you know, it doesn't. I don't know who the people are, so it, it's not going to be embarrassing anyone. Um, is that you know? I know that um, my staff person met with someone at the province uh, in the liquor control branch, and uh, one of the people said, "Well, why, why, why do people need to have alcohol in order to have a good time?" <laughs> it's, like, it's just like sort of mind boggling, you know. So there's back, a to, back to the nineteen
1: 1930s or something.
2: <laughs> uh, it, it just seems a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I think the province a little puritanical. Has, well, I, I, let's put it this way. You know, uh, <laughs> the Rio Theater was a was a, was an example of them. The province being more. Uh, proactive and finally, but recognized. they had to,
1: they had to make it such a highly visible and political fight. Absolutely. And,
2: and sometimes yeah. that's, that's what's needed. Um, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but I think it's those kinds of things. And I think that the city is, um, more than willing to do certain things if, if it's under our jurisdictional mm-hmm. control, um, the one thing I'll say is that we won't do anything that's going to, um, we will not ignore anything where there's a life safety hazard. That's like the primary thing. Like, we just don't want people to be in a situation where they're endangered. That's mm-hmm. like, the number one thing. Um, Beyond that, I think we're willing to work with organizations or individuals in order to go through whatever processes they need to get the right permits and whatever, um, and to not sort of just penalize people for something that, you know, that they have every intention of trying to work with us on. So, um, you know, so certain things like, you know, like noise, it's really, I mean, the things that are I don't like noise, is like something that has an actual bylaw, I guess, with a certain decibel mm-hmm. level. Uh, and how that's done or monitored, I mean, I think it's largely done, to be quite honest, on a qu- a complaint Complete basis, yeah, yep. yeah. I don't think it's like people go around like looking. Take for out a, your measurement devices. Yeah, <laughs> you know, looking for where well, you know who who's making noise or who's you know um, got you know is painting in a place that doesn't have appropriate ventilation or whatever. I mean, it's really. Um, it is a complaint-driven system right now, and um, so I, I don't I, – I think that um, while some of our bylaws may be restrictive, the intent is to try to make it um, – over, you know, it's going to take a few years to get everything synchronized. But to, you know, have definitions of what artists do today really reflect what what they they do. You know, not instead of having uh, someone who does sculpture being termed, uh, you know, metal worker because there's no there's no category or a job job category a, a classification that reflects what people are actually doing Mm -hmm. in, in terms of creative work today.
3: Saturday, September 8th, join Vancouver Co-op Radio at the Wise Hall for our 100.5 FM frequency change party. The Wise Hall and Lounge, located at 1882 Adenac Street, has a vintage performance hall upstairs and a cozy lounge bar downstairs. This night of live music includes performances by Murray Porter, the O. Wells, and Jasper Sloan Yip. 2012 Juno Award winner Murray Porter tells the aboriginal side of history with a mix of country, groovy blues rhythms, and humor. The O. Wells play a unique brand of energetic indie pop. They've been known to turn an apathetic concert-goer into a regular 1930s swing kid. Spend
0: all my sunny
3: days. Jasper Sloan Yip's Indie Folk Stylings. Tell the story of an introverted, existential East Vancouver musician. His tenor vibrato, breathless whisper, and soulful guitar exercise your heart and get your legs dancing.
0: These trees with my head in my hands.
3: The Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM frequency change party, Saturday, September 8th at the Wise Hall. For more information, please go to www.coopradio.org.
0: With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on.
3: We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next.
0: The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way.
3: Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday, from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. And you're here on the City Hour dedicated to critical
1: urban discussions, and you're uh, tuning in on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, or on uh, syndicated um, or in syndication on CJSF 90.1 FM and also at cjsf.ca, as well, a podcast. Um, and you can find a full um, archive of past podcasts at thecityfm.org. And again, uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter handle is fm And uh, the city is broadcast live here on CITR, live from 5 to 6 and syndicated on CJSF um, from 10 to 11 on um, 90.1 FM. And also I just wanted to mention... Um, That co-op radio is changing frequency and uh, go out and support them at their um, uh, frequency swap party or new frequency uh, party coming up, um, as you heard on the PSA. So uh, we're going to go now into part two of my uh, uh, discussion with Richard Newworth, who is the managing director of cultural services at the City of Vancouver. And uh, in part two uh, of our, our discussion, um, talk more about the the desired locations of artists within the city and um, the uh, the the possibilities um, and the impacts of. Um, Of artists um, in particular parts of the city, and and the ways that neighborhoods can um, be transformed, and not always necessarily um, in a in a way that um, serves the interests of low income neighborhoods, and that's something that artists have for a long time been implicated in processes of gentrification. But um, talking about uh, why that is, and and why artists um, flock to the so called authentic neighborhoods um, or parts of the city to use the language of uh, sociologist uh, Sharon Zukin, um, who talks about um, authenticity as one of the major uh, drivers in terms of where artists want to live, or uh, professor of geography, David Lay at UBC, who talks about um, the inner city locations as um, neighborhoods that um, show authenticity and and show um, a type of urban living that can't be found in suburban locations or even locations without heritage or historic um, uh, architecture and the built environment. So a number of ways to think about this and uh, talking again with uh, Richard Neuwirth in uh, part two. Looking at neighborhoods specifically, and looking at the nexus mm-hmm. of artistic cultural production, art spaces, mm-hmm. and uh, neighborhood change or gentrification, um, mm-hmm. what's the what's the policy within your department, and how do you ev- how do you evaluate, or um, is there a process in place to to think about the the impacts it could that cultural or artistic spaces or sort of the aestheticized um, environments that these places often create and the attractive environments that they create um, set in motion uh, a number of different things in terms of social upgrading in neighbourhoods and in, in specifically in the context of the downtown east side which um, mm-hmm. I think we can really see uh, this uh, quickening.
2: Okay. Um, how, well you know, I guess what the difficulty I have in terms of responding to that is that um, it, the, there's there's the issue of like gentrification in general, mm-hmm. which drives out people that um, have low incomes, no matter what they're doing. And you know, and I'm not I'm not going to say that that doesn't occur. I mean, it certainly does occur. Um, so you know, I I would say in some ways, you know, there's my department and there's the city as a whole, so what are we doing as a city Mm -hmm. to make sure that there's still a middle class here and that there's still, you know, it's not just the very rich or the very poor. I mean, so I I would almost turn it around and say, you know, what what do we do as a city in terms of affordability? Like, so there's the mayor's task force on housing affordability right now, and I think that's an example of where you're trying to look at systemically, how do you make the affordable. Um, In terms of artists, um, you know, they they certainly uh, uh, make an area attractive. Um, I think that, you know, you can look at any city around the world practically where um, artists are willing to go into an area that's not the best area in the world. And then, you know, they make it attractive and people come in and they get priced out of the market. Um, that's, a, that's a challenge that I think every city faces. I think what Vancouver faces that's even more difficult is how geographically constrained we are and how um, little industrial land there is. So there's very few places to expand so in in places like toronto i mean it just sprawls out further and further here we're in a very limited area and so how do you maintain Uh, stock of affordable housing and affordable studio space um, within that. And I think that, you know, we're we're doing what we can uh, by trying to target, um, you know, setting aside buildings where at least for a certain period of time we can guarantee that 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 it will be, you know, we can guarantee rates that are in the affordability range of what typically artists pay for studios that are not just, you know, commercial rates that are outrageously high. So that's, you know, that's where a lot of our emphasis has been lately has been in terms of we haven't focused so much on the live side. We've focused on the work side. We've really focused on individual artist studios and artist production space because that's that's. That's what, you know, is, um, it, it's something that we can target, it, it, whereas affordability in terms of living is something that affects everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for us to address the work side of it.
1: Specifically, though, what, and I'm using an example of a, of a current uh, project, the SQL 138 um, at Maine and Hastings, which the developer very explicitly um, used artists and, and using, you know, marketing especially to artists in the neighbourhood um, to get support for that and, and uh, try to rally people um, to get that that permit approved. And it was ultimately. But mm-hmm. I guess what's what are the links between cultural policy at the city and discussions with zoning and the planning department? And are those... Mm-hmm are those links and discussions about holistically thinking about who is the neighborhood for and and how are different processes shaping these neighborhoods
2: sure i mean i will say um, that i think that there's actually a fair amount of uh... discussion collaboration and integration of policy within the city so you know, some of the studios or some of the projects that are coming on board have been a result of some of these developments. Like we have uh, a a development at Drake and Howe that's going to have 18 studio spaces in it. And so we, and we work with the planning department in terms of when an opportunity arises to provide cultural space at a affordable rate for artists or arts organizations. That's very much part of city policy. In, and I think we really think about that. What what a, an individual developer does, um, you know, they may do their own thing, but in terms of what, what they need to provide to the city, um, I think that we're pretty good about um, trying to look at where there are opportunities to provide mm-hmm. cultural space.
1: I know at the RISE Public Hearing, you presented and, and uh, mentioned that It's been a real struggle to lease um, existing city cultural space because arts group have um, financially are unable to really fit these spaces out. And I I guess Mm -hmm. more broadly, is the idea of a brand new um, space for cultural production is that? going against very much the idea of like artists wanting to be in Strathcona where there is this sense of authentic urban space. And does sort of the the more, um, the new development then, you know, fitting yourself into these new developments, is that is that inherently one of the problems that it's not desired and it's also quite costly?
2: Well, first of all, I, I would I would not agree with either of those statements. Okay. I mean, because like first of all, like that new development. I mean, the way that 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 the studio that I'm I'm talking about in terms of the Eton Studios that are going to be in this development, like we the whole thing is is entirely fitted out, uh, and it's got a facility reserve fund that will help pay for expenses mm-hmm. over you know a certain number of years. So. It's going to be very affordable. I mean, that that one is one that I don't have any concerns about. Mm-hmm. I have more concerns about some of the ones where we're trying to take city buildings that are vacant and you know providing raw shells to artists. Right. Um, uh, now, in terms of you know where um, where they are, you know, it's sort of like I know. Um, it, it, in fact, we've done mapping of artists, and, and what we've found, and it's not surprising, is that artists and uh, and others have been migrating eastward. So, um, you know, in the early two thousands. The downtown East had the lo- largest concentration of artists. In two thousand and six, in that census, we we don't have the twenty eleven yet. Right. In two thousand and six, Grandview Woodlands had the highest percentage of artists. So, you know, the notion of um, maybe hasting Sunrise is two thousand and eleven. <laughs> it, it, it very likely will be. Yeah. And and one of the spaces that we're looking at that we're going to be putting out is in uh, Renfrew Collingwood. I mean, so. I think that you know the notion of um, a sort of artist community or multiple communities. I think is 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 valuable. I mean, I don't think that anyone wants to be. Well, I'm not going to say that. People do want to be. You know, there is something to to um, uh, having a. I don't know what the word is, but, uh, you know, having a mass of artists in one space in terms of just um, the creativity that is evoked when people are, you know, working closely with one another. And I think that in some of these places, hopefully that that will they'll become these incubators. The other one that we're doing is in an area that's heavily uh, both art artists. In terms of uh, arts organizations, as well as um, the the support. And, uh the kinds of uh, support things that that arts organizations or artists need, like framers and things like that, in in is the Falls Creek Plats. And so one of the stu- one of the buildings we're putting out is on Industrial Avenue. It's it's a highly uh, rough space, but it's the kind of space, and it's in a location that a lot of people want. So um, I think. I think we're doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's always more that can be done, but um, I think there's really, especially with this council, there's a real concerted effort to recognize both the importance of arts and culture, but also of you know, uh, trying to retain artists in the city and, and, and provide affordable space to work in.
1: I'm gonna. I'll finish off with two questions. But I come sure. from an urban geography background, and mm-hmm. often um, cultural and artistic um, policies can be seen to work in tandem with um, class transformation in different neighborhoods. Do mm-hmm. you do you find validity in that? And empirically, there's plenty of evidence. But um, I know coming from uh, uh, the, the city certainly you know there's a, a pragmatic side but also um you have to be cautious i'm just wondering do you have concerns over the way that for example you know a neighborhood has turned cool because now it's it's fun and it's you know it's cultural and now they want to build condos in it or like there are, there are tons of examples right but
3: yeah
1: yeah is I mean, it is, yeah no, go ahead, no, no go um, ahead.
2: <laughs> I was going to say you know that it's totally a legitimate concern. I mean, um, you mentioned the rise, and you know we are going to be doing some public consultation about how we can get affordable studio space in that neighborhood with money that you know was set aside for that very purpose, but when you look at how Mount Pleasant itself has changed over the years, I mean, it, 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 Main Street is very hip, you know, and the, the, you know, the cost of living there is, is going up roof,
1: for yeah. both
2: residents and businesses as well. So it's not even just, you know, saying, you know, the downtown east side. I mean, it, like uh, that, that's a danger in terms of how do you retain the character of the neighborhood. Uh, as the population changes or as people gravitate to new areas and i think it's a it's it, it's a, an incredibly difficult balancing act and i think that the, the general approach is to try to uh, integrate um, different levels of income into the same neighborhood so that it's not just all rich or all you know people who are on subsidies but mm-hmm. to have a mix of incomes, because I think that, in fact, is probably the richest kind of environment where, you know, you don't want your kids or whatever to be going to school with everyone who, you know, their parents make a million dollars a year. I mean, the whole idea of um, being exposed to diversity in terms of income, education, uh, education, ethnicity etc i mean i think that's one of the things that's rich about vancouver and i think that the approach to trying to uh, address the affordability issue at every level instead of just at the you know at at the uh, at the uh, income assisted level is really important to maintain that mix what do you uh,
1: just to leave you with a final question and let you go sure do you have concerns about if um if affordability cannot be addressed and cannot be addressed um in a realistic amount of time um and obviously there are other issues of whether we see you know the the real estate bubble bursting but that aside um mm-hmm. I know plenty of young people that have left Vancouver to Montreal mm-hmm. to Toronto um mm-hmm. do you have concerns or or are you Are you excited about the possibilities moving forward?
2: Well, I have to say I'm excited about the possibilities moving forward. And and while I know that it's true that, I mean... um, Sometimes people will move to, like, Montreal or or Toronto for affordability reasons, but sometimes the move is really more about the platform that they have and the visibility that they have. I mean, um, one of the things about the Vancouver arts community is – is that it's quite unique and that um I've had the experience of people coming out here who have not been here before and really finding it incredibly refreshing because it's different from what, what exists in the East. Um, I also think that, you know, what we see is even though there are people leaving, the number of artists are increasing. So um it, it, it's a bit of a... Uh, almost a contradiction in and of itself. It's like we have certain people leaving, but we have a migration of people from, from, I think, from um, less metropolitan areas into the urban centers. So in, in most of the cities, you're going to see increases in the number of artists just because... Um, that's, that's the trend. Um, so I, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic. I mean, okay. I tend to be an optimist, so, uh, and I think that we'll do whatever we can to address the issues as they arise and as they continue to be, you know, challenging.
1: I'm going to ask you to play favorites. Do you have a favorite, uh, festival in Vancouver?
2: Oh, <laughs> that's not really fair. <laughs> that's not really fair. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, well, I, I'll say the first festival that I experienced when I moved here, which was like five, uh, going on five years ago, was Push, and mm-hmm. I just thought it was great, you mm-hmm. know. It, it, it was such a unique kind of uh, festival that I really, you know, and, and I love theater, so uh, okay.
1: I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> well, Richard, thank you so much. It's, uh, sure. It was a real pleasure to talk with you, and uh, thank you for okay. taking so much time <laughs> sure. out of your day. Okay, okay have a good okay. one. Take care. You Bye too. Bye-bye. Bye. Richard Newworth, Managing Director of Cultural Services at the City of Vancouver, in conversation with the city, and that was from uh, late June 2012. And that wraps up uh, this edition of The City. Um, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. And you can find the city on CITR 101.9 FM, citr.ca from 5 to 6 p.m. live and also as a podcast at thecityfm.org and a full podcast archive is available um, off that website. Additionally, um, from 10 to 11 on... CJSF 90.1 FM as well Um, and again thank you uh, to CJSF and listeners of CJSF for tuning in and uh, listening to the city Um, and uh, we're going to wrap up with a track from Dirty Projectors um, and uh, we'll be back next week with more critical urban discussions.
0: Last night all oh, my attention squinting westward at the sunset With a map and a compass When a man reached up said something there Against the sky a point of light invisible to give itself to the naked eye on the shore people yelling in their eyes a great reflection in the grid aware their position unconcerned with intuition Our sympathy From that wilderness So let it be Arrested Nine by six or eight by seven Post a sentinel at the border Of what you attend, what you ignore I saw my frame in a pool of light All drowned in doubt and shame that I had lost my sight